Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries, and with me as always is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Um, wonderfully blessed, bro. Amen to that. Amen. In Jesus. We are in Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. And we are going to be talking about being in Christ a lot, and specifically, we're going to be talking about Ephesians chapter 1, and that is because recently... Uh, we had uh, a brother, a new a new brother in Christ who's been coming to the fellowship. He's a younger guy, uh, a kid I actually coached in wrestling, and he's been listening to a few teachings, asking some questions, and, and so forth. And one of the brothers here, Nico, had walked, I believe, him through uh, Romans chapter 9, and he had visited another church, a very uh, popular Calvinistic church, and people were throwing around Ephesians chapter 1, teaching that salvation is unconditional in its election. And the best way I could describe it is, does Ephesians chapter 1, specifically verse 4, teach us that we don't have a choice in salvation that was be- the verse you brought because up, we are chosen before the foundations of the world? So I'll read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and I guess we, we're going to talk about the whole chapter as a whole, but this is where the starting point is. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. So I guess the question I'm going to ask is, does Ephesians chapter 1 prove Calvinism to be true? Yeah, the idea was that he came in with chapter 1, verse 4, after a service on Wednesday night. We had a great talk, you know, and I love to talk to people afterwards and go through the Bible questions and pray together and so forth. And and uh, we had a great talk, and uh, he said, yeah, I've gone to this, went and visited this Calvinistic church, and they use that verse, you know, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. They were all talking about that proves Calvinism, you know. And I said, no, it does not prove Calvinism, not when you look at the context. And uh, otherwise, if it, if it did, it would then you'd have, and sadly, the Bible would be full of contradictions because the scripture is very clear that we're called to make our calling and election sure, uh, that we're predestined according to God's foreknowledge. Uh, and the foreknowledge there in Romans 8.29 is based on verse 28 that he works all things together for the good for those who love him and are the call according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, those who he foreknows will love him, respond to his grace. Uh, he works everything for the good for them. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And predestination there is not to salvation arbitrarily, but to those who trust in Christ, love him, to be conformed to Christ's image. And First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, speaks of those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, uh, so we do believe in a personal foreknowledge. We also believe that the Bible teaches corporate election, that Christ is the elect one. And that's why this question regarding 1-4 actually fits exactly what we believe and what we've been taught. And we've actually gained an understanding of God's election through chapter 1 and the rest of Ephesians, as we'll see how it fits together. Uh, and the idea that Christ is the chosen one. So yes, you and I are chosen if you're trusting Jesus, but we're not chosen apart from Christ. It's not like God said, hey, you know what? Uh, and, you know, because even Calvin himself used the word that's French word that is translated in English 
translation of his work, arbitrary. That God's choice, he, he, he says this, he actually uses the word that we translate arbitrary. Uh, and arbitrary means with no, you know, uh, known reason, you know. And the scriptures tell us why God rejects some and accepts others. And he, it's because they reject faith in Christ. They just, they, they don't want to turn to him. They, their, their deeds are evil. They, they love the darkness more than the light. They refuse to humble themselves and uh, turn to Christ. So it's interesting when you look at 1-4, it does say we're chosen in Christ and chosen in him before the foundations of the world. So when we look at that passage and we say, okay, we're chosen in him, what does that mean? We're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We aren't those who believe in, you know, uh, basically that God's foreknowledge is incomplete or he doesn't have full understanding. We believe he's omniscient. We believe he's all-powerful. We believe he's all these things that scriptures say he is, but it is omniscience. He knows who will respond to him, but salvation was always planned by God to take place through Christ's death for humanity and be provided for everyone, that whoever would come to him, and Jesus is over and over again referred to as the chosen one, the elect one in the Old Testament, prophetically. So he's the elect one. So whoever comes to him and responds to his call ends up being one of the elect, being chosen in him. We're not chosen individually of ourselves. Like, you know what? I really love you, and I hate that guy. I'm going to damn that guy. I just... I don't want anything to do with that guy. No, God's not partial. He says, whosoever will may come, and he knows who will respond. So those who come, to, he, he foreknows in his omniscience, who respond to the gospel, because that's his plan, will be in Christ, and we're chosen in him because he's a chosen one. So it's like if we all jumped on a jet, everybody's invited to jump on a jet and take a trip to, you know, Maui or something like that. And whoever gets on that jet, the jet's chosen to go there. Whoever gets on that jet is chosen in that jet to go then because they've accepted that invitation use an illustration. Whoever rejects getting on that jet is not part of that chosen jet. In this case, Jesus is the chosen one. In fact, in him, and I love this, and I asked him, I said, read through Ephesians 1, 1 through 11, and mark down in your mind every time you see in him, in Christ, because it's our, our, our being chosen, our election is all wrapped up in Jesus and who he is, and all the praise goes to him. And we read in Ephesians 1, and I'll just read those parts. Uh, Ephesians 1, 1 and following throughout verse 11, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. By the way, I got to say this. It's addressed to those who are faithful in <laughs> Christ Jesus. Who are the elect? Those who are faithful to Jesus. Who are faithful in him. Those who have faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you save through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. So those who are the faithful, those who are actively trusting Jesus are the ones, and this is very important because this will all fit together as this moves on, you'll have hopefully a really good understanding of this, is the chosen ones are those who are addressed as the faithful in Christ Jesus. So it's those who are in Christ and they're trusting him by faith. Those are the ones who are chosen. And he goes on to say in verse three, for instance, uh, talks about us being blessed in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse four, he chose us in him, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood because the gospel of Christ, that's by that's how we're saved, amen. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. It's all about his plan in Jesus. Verse 11, verse, the end of verse 10 and then verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. We, brothers, just all be giving praise to Jesus all day long, man, because everything we have, our salvation, our inheritance, our redemption through his precious blood is all a result of him. And the reason we're in him is because of what he did for us on our behalf. But he didn't just, just do it for us. For God so loved the world, Jesus says that he gave his only begotten son, the whole world, right? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So anyone who puts their trust in him and is in him, God foreknows in his foreknowledge, and we're chosen, therefore, in him before the foundations of the yeah, world. Yeah, and I wanted to just give a quick plug to a episode that we did earlier this year, actually, with Dr. Robert Piccarelli, because mm-hmm. we talk about, and in his in his book, Grace, Faith, Free Will, he talks about Ephesians 1 at length. In fact, he goes Which more in depth. good interview. Yeah, it's a great, great interview, interview. and, and we'll put the, uh, the link in the description for this show as well. But specifically, what Joe's talking about is what he calls in his book, the Christocentricity of this text right. when it comes to salvation. And, yeah, and it's all about being in Christ. So you got to check out that interview as well as this show. Uh, right. And those who believe in corporate election, which we do, the Bible's very clear about it. Uh, those who believe in even election according to foreknowledge, which we do, often we use the term uh, that our, our belief in, in, in election is Christocentric, especially if you adhere to corporate election because you see it as taking place in Jesus. But it's interesting, when you look at the context of this passage, which I think is very, very important, because not only do you get these terms in him, you know, in Christ and so forth, that you realize it's all Christocentric. His election, what we're emphasizing, Chad's emphasizing that again with me, we're emphasizing that so you understand that election just wasn't willy-nilly. It wasn't one, two, three, four, you get in the door, five, six, you're in a fix. It was based on Christ, his work, his death for the world, and who would respond, who would be faithful, who would come to him, who would be faithful in Christ. We're never spoken of as the elect apart from Christ in the whole list. I'm talking about in the totality of Scripture. It's never considered a separate kind of thing. And then God says, oh, since I'm choosing that person to save them, I'll have another plan, you know, that maybe uh, can get them saved. No, it was all Christ-centered. But notice it's also in accordance with his purpose or his plan or his will. So he had this plan to save us in Christ. And that was his plan from the beginning. So one for Choosing us before the foundation of the world is tied to these the, the gospel and whether you're putting your trust in him or not. And it's not a contingent, it has a contingency, it's not arbitrary. Chapter 1, verse 5 in Ephesians. He predestined us uh, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention, uh, Eudokia, of his philema, his will. Verse 9, so they're emphasizing will, his intention. Verse 9 says, he made it known to us the mystery of his will. And by the way, it's not, oh, Calvin, his will is a mystery. We don't know who he wants to save and who he doesn't. No, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. What's his will? His will that wills that all would be saved and come to knowledge of truth. He doesn't will that any would perish. Amen. He wills that all be saved and come to knowledge of truth. He doesn't will that any would be perished, but that all would come to repentance. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's his will. He's made it clear to us, and he's made it clear in the gospel. Verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will, the lama again, according to the kind intention of a Eudokia again, uh, which he purposed. Uh, purpose there is prototheme, okay? And prototheme has to do with, uh, and it, by the way, it's in him, has to do with his purpose, uh, his plan. In fact, in 111, he said, we read, we have obtained an inheritance, have been predestined according to his purpose, okay? And that's prothesin, which the NIV translates plan, okay? So I'm, I'm emphasizing that we're predestined according to his plan, Lastly, with Christ's shed blood. God has a plan to redeem people. And our predestination is connected to that plan and connected to being in him. It's so important that we understand that. In fact, he piles up a bunch of words here, boule for will, uh, prothesis and philema, which have to do with his will, his purpose, and so forth. And that's important because when he's saying in Ephesians chapter 1 that this 
salvation plan is in accordance with his will. We learn the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 8, mentioned earlier, verse 29, 28, 29, for uh, he works all things together for the good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. That's who he's working it for the good for, those who are loving him and are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, those guys, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So his will is that those who respond to the gospel have faith, who love him and respond and say, yes, I want you, Jesus. Uh, he'll work everything to the good for them. He'll predestine them. And he does this actually in Christ before the foundation of the world. He understands. He knows because he's God. 1 Corinthians 8, 3 says, but whoever loves God, 1 Corinthians 8, 3, whoever loves God is known by God. He does, That factors into whether you're chosen or not, whether you're going to love him. The Bible says, curses everyone who does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now let's, let's open up his will. What's he talking about when he's talking about his will? Why is he talking about the mystery of his will? Because Paul's calling it the mystery of his will, his will, his purpose, and so forth. That This has to be understood, I, I believe, to really grasp what he's talking about here. You go to chapter 3, and Paul says that, by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. Now he's going to tell us what the mystery is. Check this out, because it's just all going to open up. He made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So it's understanding the mystery of Christ and what that is that'll help us understand the mystery of his will and how being chosen or predestined in relation to that through the blood of Christ all relates. Paul goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, listen, he says to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So it has to do with the unfathomable riches of Christ, but there's more. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery so it's more than the fallible riches of Christ, meaning his death, just his death, burial, and resurrection, which is huge, but it has to do with the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God. So there's this mystery, this mysterion that was hidden in God that Paul was singled out by the Father to reveal this mystery like none of the other apostles. Not that they didn't get it, but Paul talks about this mystery in Romans chapter 16, I believe, as well, that all these all the nations be comprised in Christ. And he goes on to say this, in chapter 3, verse 6, and this is huge. He says that the Gentiles, here's the mystery. And remember, he's the, he's the apostle of the Gentiles, right? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There it is. That through the gospel, through the good news, the euangelion, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. That he is the, he's the savior of Humanity dies for everyone, that Gentiles, this is the mystery. I mean, he says it, it's so good, I'm going to read it again. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery is that Paul saying, not just us as Jews, but you Gentiles have also been included in the promise of Messiah to be saved. And he goes on to talk about it through this book, how we're one body and we become one body. So being chosen in him before the foundation of the world, this mystery that God's working out is all related to the gospel. So the question wasn't on predestination, did you have a choice of your salvation or not? That's not what Romans 9 is about. That's not what Ephesians 1 is about. The idea is Jews in Romans, the book of Romans, wondering what happened, what happened to the plan of salvation that was about us? And he's saying, hey, he brings up predestination, say God has always had a purpose to include the nations uh, as, as well as the Goyim, as well as the Jewish uh, believers. And then Ephesians, he's doing the same thing. He's saying, hey, this is what predestination is about, is that God, it's not to be exclusive where God doesn't want it, certain people. It's inclusive that whosoever may come and be part of God's plan. So they've turned something beautiful. And I know Calvin is so, there's many that are well-meaning, uh, so many of them are, are brothers in Christ and, and we love them. 
But they're so often this because they misunderstand predestination twisted into something it was never intended to believe in, basically took the Gnostic view of it rather than the Christian view of the early church. Now, he goes on to write this about this great mystery. Uh, he says, this is the great mystery, verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, but has now been revealed to his holy apostles by the prophets in the Spirit. So not just Paul, the other apostles, were. this was revealed to as well. Now, that's what he says in 3.10. He said, he basically talks in chapter 3, verse 10, about how God is uniting Jews and Gentiles into one body. Keep that in mind. What am I saying here? He's uniting Jews and Gentiles into one body. This is the mystery through the gospel. Because whosoever will receive Christ will be uh, part of that body. But chapter 2, Paul says this about this body, these two becoming one. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth. So he's saying, yeah, you Gentiles are included. You were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, uh, which is done uh, in the body uh, with by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Okay? Excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put uh, death to their hostility. What's Paul doing? He's expounding on this mystery. This mystery. We were predestined, when Paul says this in chapter 1 now, verse 11, according to the mystery of his uh, will, it was in accordance with Gentiles being included among the Jews in the gospel. That's what's going on there. It's very clear what he's saying there. He's not saying, oh, you know, just say, no, I'm just going to let you guys know that you really didn't have a choice in your foundation. You were chosen him before the foundation of the world. I just want you to know that uh, you're God's special pets and he doesn't want most people, but you should really feel lucky. And that's what that's all about. That's not what that's about at all. He's saying we should be rejoiced, rejoice that God gave his son for us and paid the way of salvation and that we're redeemed by his blood and that we have opportunity to come to him and all of us can be saved. We can rejoice because he's not partial and he gives opportunity forever to be saved and we're saved in the gospel. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things when reading through Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, I think there's there's really a whole beautiful uh, display that goes on there. And then now that you're called, you know, chosen faithful, so to speak, uh, then, you know, going over the last three chapters specifically about how we're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. But I've always thought reading through this, the Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 text really encapsulating, I think, also similar to the argument that's going on in Romans as well. Yeah. That the idea, the ones that Christ, that God would show mercy to, are going to be those who come to him in faith. And so when we see that and, and understand the mystery of God, that we're getting to see that Gentiles and Jews are going to be saved, what? In the exact same way. Yeah. And Paul in Romans 1.16 and in Romans 2.11 talks about how God is not partial uh, for the Jew and also for the Gentile or the Greek. And uh, now listen to what he says in one twelve here. Let's go back to the text that we started with now, chapter 1. This is very interesting. He says, To the end that we who were the first hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Now, with the background that I just gave you, because sometimes Paul, a lot of times in his letters, Paul will say some things. You're like, huh, what's he mean by that? What's he, what is, what's he mean by this, the first hope in Christ? What's his point there? Because it seemed a little bit, why does he say the first hope in Christ? And, and most people, I'm going to tell you, most Christians that know this book even will not be able to tell you that just because they don't understand the bigger context of the book sometimes. But when he says, we're the first hope in Christ, he's talking about the Jews. 
The Jews were the first ones to believe. And he's going to go on and talk about how the Gentiles have been incorporated. That's what he's saying here. To the end, that we who were, we, Paul and the other Jews, who were the first hope in Christ because salvation came first to the Jews. In fact, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And you also see that when he says, which I alluded to earlier, Romans 2.11, that God is not partial. See, God doesn't predestine some people's salvation and some to hell because he's partial. That would be what Calvinism teaches. He wants some arbitrary or unknown reason. He wants this person and not that person. But even though we could save everybody, you know, in our last uh, uh, last podcast, we did a deal on Thomas Jefferson. And he give the quotes where he has the other extreme. So he's coming against a twist of Christianity. And he says, he says, Calvinism's God's a demon. And Calvin, the five points of Calvinism are the most absurd thing I've ever heard. And he says all these things against Calvinism. I'm like, well, unfortunately, that was very popular in his day. And he was getting a caricature of God being turned into a monster who felt he could get glory out of creating people just because he wanted to damn them for eternity and not give them a genuine choice to be saved. And that's not true representation of biblical Christianity. Of course, he went to the other extreme to your, toward Unitarianism and Epicureanism. But in 112, listen to this, it gets pretty crazy in a good way. To the end, that we who were the first hope in Christ, the Jews, would be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, meaning, who's the you, you think, Chad? Gentiles. Gentiles, yeah. amen. You, to the end that we who were the first hope in Christ, the Jews, would be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, after listening to the message, Gentiles, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, because the first believers were all Jews, but you also having believed, see, election is connected to believing, okay? And connected to the gospel and God's gospel plan. He, Some say he, he, he predestines the plan and not the man. I, I believe he predestines the plan and the man, okay? Because I believe there's individual uh, election by foreknowledge, but, it's in, but he elects the man in connection with the plan. Okay, the plan is for whosoever will, whoever he sees coming to Christ and responding to his grace and his drawings and his wooings, he saves and they are chosen. Now, they don't, we don't exist yet, but in his foreknowledge, he knows who will, right? So to the end, that we who were the first hope in Christ, the Jews, would be to the praise of his glory in him. Uh, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, meaning like us, and that's how they got in Christ, right? Uh, you were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So the we who are first shifts to you, and it totally fits so well with chapter two, where then he explains it. So that's what Paul does. He he gives these little nuggets. You're wondering, then he expounds on these things in the next chapters, and this does this in a lot of his letters. It's really quite powerful uh, literary feature that the Holy Spirit inspires through him. So then he gives us light and understanding that Paul's been given this Understanding the mystery, verse 13 of chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed and were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting because it's important that we understand now that this is all related, again, as I said, to the gospel, Ephesians 3, 3, and 4, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote to you before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now we understand more of his insight into the mystery of Christ. That, and So Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 1 is that God always had a plan to incorporate not just the Jews, but the Gentiles into salvation. And that God contemplates them being in Christ through the preaching of the gospel 
and through faith in those who put their trust in Christ. There's nothing in this text that says God arbitrarily did this. There's nothing in this text that suggests that God chose us apart from faith, apart from Christ. In fact, everything in this in this text and the other chapters as well tie God's choice into our faith. Yeah, I think so, I think yeah, with 13 right there, you know, having also believed, when did this happen? When you believed. Amen. You got that seal of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's when. And I think that's one of the most important things when we're looking at these. And once again, I, I think one thing that should be pointed out as well when it comes to just this whole entire chapter, it is sad that this is the length that must be gone to to try to attempt to prove a doctrine that is just not found yeah, over and over These are their strongholds, they think, by that's the way. That's exactly Romans right. Romans 9, Ephesians 1. And they actually work totally the opposite. When you look at them, they actually bolster what the conviction of the early church was for the first few centuries. I think it's absolutely important. I think it's important that the point that you make there, Chad, and it's also important that we understand, again, the emphasis in chapter 1, verse 1. He addressed it to those who are faithful, faithful. in Christ. That's that's a huge, important part of understanding this epistle. You know, it's not that people are just, oh, maybe that person's a chosen one. Maybe that one is. Oh, I don't know. No, it's those who are faithful in Christ, those who come to Jesus. In fact, this whole thing about two becoming one, then he uses the picture of marriage between a husband and wife, yeah. that God invented marriage. If you're married, you need to take very seriously your marriage because God invented Amen. it as a living illustration of Christ and the gospel and our election in him. In fact, listen to what he goes on to say in 531 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That's two becoming one, just like the Gentiles and the Jews became one in Christ, right? And the two will become one flesh. He says, this is a profound mystery, a uh, mega musterion in the Greek. But I am talking about Christ and the church. So husband and wife, that's a picture of Christ and the church. This is so powerful. This is a, such a powerful mystery. I had a whole series on uh, marriage one time that was devotional and theological about called the Mega Mysterion. Such a powerful picture. But listen to what he says in Ephesians 5, just before that. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now listen to this. Why does he do this? He's taught husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, that he and he, that he washed her, right? That he might sanctify her, right? Verse 27, that he might present it to himself, that is the church, a glorious church, okay? Listen to this, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, why is this important? Notice how that fits. Can you read Colossians 1.4? I'm sorry, Ephesians 1.4 again, Chad? Yeah, of course. Listen to how, listen to how Ephesians 1.4 yeah. says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Thank you for emphasizing chose and then that we'd be holy and blameless. Those are the ones he's choosing, those who are faithful and, the, and that he wants to present us holy and faithful, holy and blameless in the gospel. Well, we read the same thing in chapter 5, verse 27. Listen to this, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle in it or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. But guess what? In Colossians, which was written the same time Ephesians was, it's a twin epistle in many ways. A lot of the same things are stated there. He addresses in chapter 1, verse 2, the faithful in Christ again. And then guess what he says? He wants to present us holy and blameless, just like Paul said. Ooh, but there is a caveat. There is a condition. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Meaning, some of those who are saved, reconciled, in order to present you before him holy and blameless. There it is. 
and beyond reproach. Praise God. But listen to verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly and established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Wow. So that shows you that those who are elect in him are the faithful and they only remain elect in him if they continue in the faith. And only then will they be presented holy and blameless because they are in Christ who is the chosen one. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.